0: So with that being said, what I want to do today is, is I want to just get engaged in the word. That's what we're here to do is the reading rant. We're going to spend 20, 20 minutes reading the word. And then afterwards, we're going to spend um, another 20, 30 minutes, wh- how, whatever time is afforded to us um, to reflect on the word. And so we're prayerfully reading through the word. This isn't a Bible study. It is a Bible reading. There will be some reflection and and maybe a little bit of teaching in there, but really it's more about us being disciplined in the reading of the scripture and so we're just asking ourselves and as we read the scripture we want to read it uh with spiritual receptivity we want to read it uh being receptive to what God has for us in the moment because God is speaking through his word um he's speaking to our souls his word is spiritual food and so uh we're going to be asking ourselves uh three questions uh we're going to meditate exactly we're going to meditate on the word Uh, we're going to ask ourselves three questions um, three questions that we're gonna ask is what is God revealing concerning himself that's the first question the second question that we're gonna ask is what is God revealing concerning people and uh, the third question that we're gonna ask is what is God revealing concerning me okay what is God revealing concerning himself what is God revealing concerning people and the third question that we're gonna ask is what is God, uh, revealing concerning me. These are um the three questions that we're going to ask. So if you can go ahead and, and we're going to pray. Let me put this on real quick. Um go ahead and uh we're going to we're going to situate ourselves uh in the word and we're going to pray to receive from God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have afforded us uh the time to just come together and to he- read your word, Father. We thank you for technology. We thank you that you have Uh, been able to give us a platform to be able to hear from you uh, together as a community. Father, we thank you that uh, you speak through your word. You provided this word to us to reveal who you are. So, Father, Lord, open our eyes and our ears towards you. Incline, Lord, our souls towards you, Lord, that we may receive from you today. Bless us in this time, Father, that we may receive from you Reveal who you are. Reveal who you intend us to be. And we ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. Verse one, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting, relating to the most holy things. When a camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his son shall come and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put it on the covering, put put on it, a covering of badger skins and spread it over that a cloth entirely of blue and they shall insert its poles on the table of showbread they shall spread a blue cloth and put it on the dishes the pans the bowls and the pitchers for pouring and the showbread shall be on it they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with a covering of badger skins and they shall insert its poles and they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps its wick trimmers its trays and all its oil vessels with which they service it then they shall put it put it with all its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with the covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles, and they shall take all the utensils of service for which they minister in the sanctuary, put them on a blue put them in a blue cloth, cover them with the covering of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall put on it all its implements with which they minister there the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all utensils of the altar. And they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all its furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Koath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle and all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Coathites from among the Levites. But do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to the service and test. And they shall go in and watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take a census of the sons of Gershon. By the father's house, by their families from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them all who enter to perform the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of meeting with its covering and the the covering of badger skins that is on it. The screen for the door, of the tabernacle of meeting the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and altar and their courts and all the furnishings for their service and all that is made for these things. So they shall serve Aaron and his sons shall assign all the service of the sons of Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service. And you shall appoint to them all their tasks as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting and their duty shall be under the authority of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest as for the sons of Merari they shall you shall number them by their families and by their fathers house from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old you shall number them everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting and this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, the boards of the tabernacles, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the pillars all around the court with their sockets, pegs, and cords, with all their furnishings and all their service. And you shall assign to each man by name the items he must carry. Hmm. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, as all the service for the tabernacle of meeting under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest, Hmm. verse 34, and Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old. Everyone who entered the service for the work in the tabernacle of meeting, and those who were numbered by their families were 2750. These were the ones who were numbered of the families of the Kohathites, all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And those who numbered of the sons of Gershon by their families and by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, those were numbered by their families, by their father's house, were two thousand six hundred and thirty these are the ones who were numbered of the families of gershon all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, from moses and aaron numbered according to the commandment of the lord those are the families of the sons of merari who were numbered by their families by their father's house from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old everyone who entered the service for the work of the tabernacle of meeting those who were numbered by their families were three thousand Two hundred. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses, all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron, the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and their father's houses from 30 years old and above even the 50 years old. Everyone who came to do the work of service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting, those were numbered were 8,000 five hundred and eighty. I'm going to ask Ellison to remind me of all these. Pay attention Ellison. (laughs) According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus were they numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers five. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and everyone who has become defiled by a corpse. You shall put both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the children of Israel did. Verse five, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that man commit uh, that that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one fifth of it and give it to the one he is wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom the restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priests, in addition to the ram of the atonement with which the atonement is made for him. Every offering of all holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And every man's most holy things shall be his. Whatever man gives the priests shall be his his hmm. verse 11 and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them if any man goes astray and behaves unfaithfully toward him and a man lies with her carnally and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and it is concealed that she has defiled herself and there was no witness against her nor was she caught if the spirit if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife he who has defiled he who has defiled her sorry if the spirit of jealousy comes before him and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife although she has not defiled herself then the man shall be shall bring his wife to the priest He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it, because it is a grain offering of jealousy, an offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near, set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, take some, some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, And put it in the water. And the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord. Uncover the woman's head. And put the offering for remembrance in her hands. Which is the grain offering of jealousy. And the priest shall have his hand. Of bitter water. That he brings a curse. Sorry. And the priest shall have in his hand. The bitter water that brings a curse. And the priest shall put her under oath. And say to the woman. If no man has lain with you. And if you have not gone astray to uncleanliness while under your husband's authority, be free from this bitter water that brings a curse. But if you have gone astray while you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall put the woman under the oath of the curse. And he shall say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell, and may this water be causes, sorry, may this water that causes the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, amen, so be it. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall scrape them off of the bitter water, off into the bitter water. And he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter her to become bitter. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand. Shall wave the offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering as its memorial portion. Burn it on the altar and afterward make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall be if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully towards her husband, that the water brings a curse, that the water that brings the curse will enter her and become bitter and her belly will swell. Her thigh will rot and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and may conceive children. This is the law of jealousy. When the wife while under her husband's authority goes astray, and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord and the priest shall execute all this law upon her. Then the man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her guilt. Tough stuff. Number six. Number six, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation no razor shall come upon his head. Until the days are fulfilled and he has separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. And he shall let the locks of of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord... He shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or mother, for his brother or sister when they die, because the separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him, because he has sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in the first year of the trespass offering in the former days shall be lost because his separation is defiled Hmm. verse 13. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When his days of separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in the first year without blemish as a burnt offering one ewe lamb in the first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offering. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. And the priest shall offer its grain offering and its drink offering and the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, one unleavened wafer and put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows to the Lord the offering of his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. Hmm. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Sounds like a good place to close. Sounds like a good place to close. All right, we'll stop here. Um, Good to see everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, Good morning, guys. Today, what we did was is we read through uh, numbers four, five and six on Monday. We'll kick off again to number seven and we'll continue forward. Uh, we'll continue to press on uh, through the book of numbers. Um, as you guys know. Every morning we read through the entire Bible. I'm reading through the new King James version K but we read through the entire Bible. And, and, and the purpose for us uh, reading through the entire Bible is first, it's twofold. The first part of it is, is we read the Bible because it is the most important spiritual discipline that you can engage in. Notice I said spiritual discipline, not intellectual discipline. Okay, We don't simply read the Bible to understand it intellectually and understand all the nuances and the intricacies of it. Not to say there isn't a place for Bible study. There is, there is absolutely a place for Bible study. Um, But that's not the primary activity. Okay. Our primary activity when we read the word is to hear from God, is to seek for God to speak to us through the reading of the word. That's the first part. The second part is slightly intellectual in nature in the sense that for many believers, the reason why we fall into false teaching. The reason why we get misled is because we don't read it. We only take that 30 minute sermon that we get every Sunday and the little sliver of scripture. And unfortunately, that's all we get. And so we don't get the full story, the full narrative, the the big picture of the scripture. And it's unfortunate because a lot of us, we get lost in the sauce. We get lost in the teaching. Sometimes there's things that don't connect and the reason why they don't connect is because we don't read the whole thing. And so for me, I believe the most powerful thing any believer can do is to actually read the scriptures for themselves. I'm here to empower you. That's all I'm here to do. I'm here to empower you because as you read the word, (laughs) let me tell you something. As you read the word, it transforms your heart and it empowers you in a way that allows you not just to hear from God in every dimension of your life, but it strengthens you in how you go about navigating through your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, this is not, we're not here to enculture anyone. We're here to simply say, read the word. And so that's why I'm here. I'm here to read it with you. We've read through the entire new Testament together. And I, and this other thing I believe is that as you read the whole Bible, you begin to, things begin to connect. begin to see things from a broad perspective Um, I was in a uh, seminar with a group of preachers and in that seminar Uh, one of the uh, seminarians who came up there to speak said that the unfortunate reality and I actually agree with him on this he said the unfortunate reality is most Christians the only Bible they get is the Bible that they read on Sunday when the preacher preaches. And maybe during the week, they do a Bible study with a group on that same section of scripture. He said, the reason why this is unfortunate is because if every preacher here can be honest with themselves, every preacher here will say that most of them only preach about 20% of the Bible. Do you hear me? And most preachers preach only about 20% of the Bible. And here's the even more unfortunate reality. The more unfortunate reality is that after 10 years, most preachers still preach only about 20% of the Bible. (laughs) And yet we get confused why Christians are so disempowered, why Christians are confused, why Christians don't fully understand why they're not connecting things because for many preachers who I would assume and this is this is not a shot on preachers I don't want to shoot preachers down right now but I've spoken to many preachers who admit that they haven't read through the entire Bible and I say to myself well how can you how can you preach the word with confidence not knowing the the entire narrative of the scripture I agree with that there are a lot of people who just don't understand it and so Um, one of the, I'm just sharing this as we, before I get into um, numbers real quick, I'm sharing this because this is just the grace of God in my life. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, when I said, I'm going to take my faith in Jesus seriously, I opened the Bible for myself and I just began to read it. I just began to read it. That was it. I just started reading through the Bible. And it was the grace of God that led me to persist. It was the grace of God that that allowed me to persist because most of what I was reading, I could not understand. I was actually confused. I was like, what, what what am I reading right now? What what is this about? I don't even understand it. The first book I read for myself as I read through was the book of Romans. If you, if I could go back, I I think back at the Isaac that read maybe what like 12 years ago now. Um, who read the scriptures for the first time for himself. And he was reading through uh, Romans and he was going, what does this really mean? Like I was so confused and yet I read it and I kept reading. And after Romans, I read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I just read it and I didn't know what I was reading, but something powerful began to happen. Something incredibly powerful began to happen because I began to see who God was in his scripture, not by what somebody told me about who God was. I began to read through the, 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 old Testament and I just read through confused about 80% of the time, 80% of the time. And yet I continued to read and I continue to read. And the more that I read through the entire narrative, the more things began to come together. So for those of you who are reading right now with me and you're going, This whole thing that I'm reading is absolutely confusing. I need an expert of scripture to explain this to me. It's great for an expert of scripture to explain to you. But what if I told you that they're experts of scripture who don't even believe in the scripture that they read? They're experts of scripture who don't even understand the scripture in its totality. So all I'm saying to you is, is we've got to back away from simply depending on the spiritual experts and the spiritual professionals and to seek to develop a relationship with God ourselves. And that's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I had to make sure I put all that out. This is the read and rant. We read for 20 minutes and I rant for the other period of time. So you're going to have to endure my rant for a moment, but I, I can't emphasize this enough that if you're waiting for an expert of the Bible to make you into a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. When I studied theology, uh, I studied theology at a fairly liberal university. But I studied theology, and 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 I and I was studying by the grace of God with the PhD, the doctoral students, and even the doctoral students who were there. Some of them professed to me in private that they were atheists. They just loved the intellectual exercise of the scripture. There were those among them who were agnostic, still working through their faith. There were those who were among them who said, I'm getting a PhD, but I haven't really fully read through John. I need to do that. And I said to myself, so then what have you been studying all this time? Well, they've been studying the theologians and the thinkers but they didn't study the scriptures to hear from God. And that's why we're here. Ellison, I didn't just read the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were two books ago, okay? So, the Ten Commandments were in Exodus. Um, So, I didn't read the Ten Commandments. What I read was Numbers, the book of Numbers. And so, I, I'm all, all this is to say, guys, is read for yourself. Read for yourself. Don't wait for a preacher to tell you what the Bible says. Why don't you just read it? And so that's what we're doing. We're just reading and we're reflecting and we're spending time ruminating over the scripture and we're going to and we're asking these three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing, convicting me, concerning me? Background. We've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're in numbers. Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament, and it's the fourth book of the first five books, which we call the Pentateuch, Pentateuch, five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, this is a story. So there's, there's, there are many people that read this as a law. You're reading it wrong. You read read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy as a story, not a law. Because the law was not written to you, the law was written to the children of Israel. We're seeing a story of a family of God and a nation of people who are being called to reconcile all men. They were the chosen people of God to be the nation of priests that would show the world and all of humanity what God is like. Okay, to show humanity, what God is like. And so it wasn't written directly to us, but it was written for us. And we're going to learn more and more why it was written for us. But right now we read it through the narrative, the story. There's a story being written here from Genesis. We see Abraham, remember, it was the fall of man, sin came into the world. All that was good became distorted. All that was good, um, all that was perfect. Now, sin came in and, 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 and brought death, pestilence, uh, all, all the things that we know, that we, we've talked about this before, that sin is brought. Now, as a result of that, there was strife, there was evil. And in that, and, and, and so God now seeking to restore all of humanity, called a man by faith whose name was Abraham. His name was Abram. And when he made the covenant with God, God made a covenant with him and promised him that he'd be the father of many nations, that he would father many nations, that through his family, all nations would be blessed. Did you hear that? Through his family, all nations would be blessed. Abraham by covenant begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. These 12 sons grow into a family and that family moved to Egypt. And that's how Genesis ends. The family moves to Egypt and in Egypt, they spent too much time, centuries there. They spent their centuries in Egypt and they went from becoming a family to becoming a nation of people by the fear of the Egyptians. They were, they were brought into bondage. And as a consequence, Moses was chosen among them to lead them out of Egypt. The book of Exodus is the narrative of now them leaving Egypt and to enter into the wilderness, to go to the land that they were initially there, that was promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now they go and as they, as they, as they, as they journey through the wilderness, God makes a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Okay. God makes a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. A covenant is simply a contract. That's all it is. God makes a deal with them to bring back the promise that he gave to Abraham to reinstitute it. And then with that covenant came the law. I have to make sure we have to, because here's what happens. There's a lot of Christians. I know this is is almost sounding like a Bible study, but stay with me because I want to get to my point. Um, There's a lot of Christians who conflate covenant with law, the covenant is not the law, the law and the covenant are not the same thing. Okay. Covenant is a deal. It's a contract. It's an agreement. The law is the consequence that came with that agreement. When they made the agreement with God, the children of Israel, when they made the agreement with God to be the people that God had called them to be to be the nation of priests, he gave them a law that instructed them as to how to do it. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The covenant is the agreement. The law is how they fulfill that agreement. And so the law now was given to them to shape them into becoming the people that they had agreed to God to become and so, and so that's how and so Exodus is a story of how they how they how how this law is being instituted through the covenant that they made with at Mount Sinai but the scripture's end with them at Mount Sinai in Exodus Exodus ends so they started in Egypt they end at Mount Sinai in Exodus they end with God being present but with them not being in relationship how do we know that because at the end of Exodus Moses cannot enter into the tabernacle no one can enter into the presence of God there was a separation while God was visually present he was not uh uh, present by manifest he was not present he was present but he wasn't present and so because he wasn't present now we get into Leviticus and what Leviticus does is Leviticus is the story and it's the law being instituted that God brings into the package to instruct them about how they can now enter back into the presence of God. I have to say all of that so people can understand that the 10 commandments when when Ellison was asking that earlier, the 10 commandments was not written to you. It wasn't written to Christians. The 10 commandments is not a book of rules for us so that we can be um, good Christians. That's not what it is. And when people read the law or they read, when they read the law, they read the law as if it's a book of rules for us to be good Christians. Wrong. It is not. Okay? It is not. The, 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 The Torah, the Pentateuch, it was written to instruct the chosen people of God about how they ought to be to bring the presence of God to earth for all nations. And so he called them to be separate, be holy for I am holy, be separate for I am separate. This is not about Christians. This was about the children of Israel. And so now because they've shown that they fail because they continually failed and because they continually failed, God came with a law that would allow unholy, unrighteous, imperfect people to be in his presence that through their continual failure, there was a way back in and it was through the sacrifice. The priest would administer the sacrifice of blood and the sacrifice of blood would bring them back into access with God in order to be the people that God had called them to be. God came with a backup plan from the beginning to allow these people back into his presence. And God is revealing now how an unholy people can be in the presence of a holy God. So they get, so, so through Leviticus, what Leviticus ends with is Leviticus ends with them now being in communion again with God There's covenant and there's communion and now they're in communion again with God because now they have the atonement They have, they have a law now that allows them to be in the presence of God. That's what we've been reading, y'all. That's what we've been reading. Now that they're at Mount Sinai, and now that they have a law that brings the presence, they're now going to navigate through the wilderness to go to the land that was promised. Now they can get up and move because now they have a way to, to maintain and to administrate the presence of God. And so numbers now is a count. That's what it is. There's a counting that's happening. The first part of the count, which we read through uh, chapters one through three, the first part of the count was, they were counting the army that would go into the promised land to take back what God had for them. You got me? Uh, Numbers now, and and then we ended yesterday with numbers three. And in Numbers 3, what we ended with is we ended with um, the priests who were set aside, chosen by God, who came from the tribe of Levi, who would now be the administrators of the presence of God. What Numbers five, uh, 4, as we were reading here, We read numbers four and five and numbers four and five. What it's doing is it's explaining to us who among the Levites. Okay. That's what we just read just now, who among the Levites would carry what parts of the presence of God, the sons of Kohath carried the most holy part. Okay. The ark of the testimony, the ark of covenant. Some people call it the ark of the covenant, the ark of testimony. And so. Um, the table of showbread all the the items that were in um all the items that were in the holy of holies the 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 area that represented the corporeal presence of god and so it was the most holy place it was the and they were given now um that they were they were mandated sorry they were mandated and commissioned to carry the presence of God. So the, the, the first part that we read in four sons of Koath, they've been given the duty and appointed to carry the presence of God. The son of Gershon were, were, were called to carry the, the, the parts of the outer court. The sons of Merari were called to carry the boards, the pillars, the bars, the sockets. And so now he performs a census. Remember that's what numbers is, it's a census. And he performs a census of all the leaders of all the congregations of Koath, Merari, and uh, what's the other one Gershon okay and so and so this is now so everybody sees where we're at he's now fully assigned not just who will carry the presence of God but who and delegate how they would carry the presence of God throughout the um, um, as they as they as they go from place to place as they break camp this is how they're going to move then in Numbers chapter five. Okay. Then in Numbers chapter five. He begins to now, now that he's assigned everyone and he's counted everyone, a few things here in Numbers chapter five that stick out to me. And I'm gonna close with that. I hope this was helpful. I know sometimes I feel like I'm sounding redundant, but I think it's important that I iterate this because I want to make sure you guys have the right context. Okay, that you guys have context to the scripture itself now he says for anyone who has a discharge anyone who's been defiled by a corpse let them dwell outside the midst of the people do you see that let them dwell outside the midst of the people so that they would not defile the camps So there was another camp created outside of the camp for people that were ceremonially unclean. They were isolated because they were ceremonially unclean. Why is this important? God is choosing a threshold for his presence that these people, the way the camp would... So just so you know, the way the camp was designed is the ark, sorry, not the ark, but the, the, the tabernacle was in the middle. And there would be a camp that would be facing north, a camp south, a camp east, and a camp west. And at the center would be the, the, the tabernacle. And we saw the description earlier. And then around that tabernacle would be the Levites. Who were the ones that we just told the ones of the tribe of Levi who were chosen to be the priests to administrate in the presence of God and the remaining camps um, outside in that position saying and speaking into that. What is at the center of this army, because that's what it is. It's an army at the center of the army is the presence of God that is We're gonna move into battle, but we're not going to move into battle without the presence of God. We're gonna move into what God is calling us to move into, but we're not gonna move without the presence of God. We won't even leave Mount Sinai unless God promises to be present with us. And once they received that presence, they left. Okay. And yet among them, there were people who would be unclean, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. I want to make sure I preface this to say that this is preparing us. Okay, that's correct. This is preparing us for what's going to happen in the future. This is preparing us to give us explanation for things that will transpire later for us to understand how unclean people were chosen or how unclean people were not chosen, but treated. They were isolated because they were ceremonially unclean. That was, that it wasn't simply whether or not you had a discharge. Remember death. So you guys remember death is a consequence of sin. Let me back it up. Disease is a consequence of sin. Death is a consequence of sin. Pain is a consequence of sin. Um, and so, and so because of those things, the very existence of those things points to sin, when we experience pain, when we experience disease, these things are a consequence of sin. God did not have intentions for these things. It was a consequence of sin that has left us in this state that we're in. So you understanding understand where I'm at. Cancer is a consequence of sin. Disease is a consequence of sin. Death is a consequence of sin. That is... Exactly right, Daniel. Even now, all the things that we see today, coronavirus is a consequence of sin, okay? Pandemics are a consequence of sin. Sin brought these things into the world. Sin caused these things to happen short answer to that. If you're sick, it is because of sin. Now, when I say it's because of sin, understand it's not because you sinned. It can be because you sinned. But if you're experiencing sickness, it's because of sin. I just had coronavirus. It's the consequence of sin. When a woman gives birth in pain, it's because of sin. All these things are a consequence of sin. It's not because she sinned. It's because of sin and I know I I don't want to like veer off too far from what we're talking about here because I want to get to my point, but it's important for us now because I hope what I'm doing now is, is I'm beginning to break you away from legalistic thinking for what you guys, what I hope you guys are beginning to see is all these commandments that you see in the Torah. These are not laws that you must follow to be good Christians. The 10 commandments may represent the morality of God, but they're not laws for Christians, meaning sin. When we talk about sin, understand here, let me help you understand this. If the law, oh, I'm ranting now, whatever, if the law, if breaking the law caused a man to sin then Adam could not have sinned because the law didn't exist when Adam existed. But we say that Adam and Eve sinned. Did you catch that? If breaking the law is sin, then anyone before that could not have sinned. And if righteousness or being righteous had to do with how well you fulfilled the law and how well you obeyed the law, then Abraham could not be righteous because Abraham existed before the law. There was no law before Abraham. But the the scriptures tell us why Abraham was righteous. Abraham was righteous because he had faith. His faith made him righteous, not his ability to follow the law. Remember, the law is not for righteousness. (laughs) The law is not to make you righteous. The law wasn't meant to make you a good Christian. That's not what the law. That's not the intention of the law. The intention of the law was so that the children of Israel would be holy. Why? And what does it mean to be holy? Notice, holiness is not righteousness. I said this before, well, being holy means to be righteous. They're not the same thing. Holiness is not righteousness. Now, they, they very much relate to one another, but they're not the same thing. Holiness means literally to be distinct from, to be fundamentally different, to be separate. When you say something is holy, what you're simply saying is there's nothing like it. So when we say that God is holy, what we're saying is there's nothing like God. That's what we mean when we say God is holy. Often people say God is holy. We say God is perfect. He is that. He is that. He is righteous. He is all those things. But, but holiness is not righteousness. And that's why when people say, well, we've been called to be holy. Christians were not called to be holy. Ooh. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm really in trouble with a lot of people right here, Uh, but that's all right. I'll say it: Christians were not called to be holy. We were called to be righteous in Christ. The children of Israel were called to holiness. (laughs) Okay. The children of Israel were called to holiness to be separate, but Christians were called into righteousness which can only be attained in Jesus Christ, not in your ability to obey the law. The law was meant to distinguish the children of Israel from the rest of the world. Okay. And we'll get into holiness and what that means for Christians. We're not there yet. And that's not what I I don't want to get into a rant about that. But when people speak about holiness, they speak about it, about how well you fulfill or you obey the law. Holiness has nothing to do with that because the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that being said, then that our, um, what was I saying? I was saying something anyway. So, so they were called into holiness. Okay. And so as a result of that, the children of Israel now, are living as distinct people from the rest of the world. That's it. They were distinct and distinguished from the rest of the world to be the nation of priests that would usher in the very presence of God. And so, because God is holy, remember, Sin brought all these things, death, all these things. Oh, that's right. Let me, let me finish with sin and then I'll get back to all that. So when we make sin obeying and disobeying God, we're falling incredibly short of what sin is. Sin is not breaking the law. Now, is breaking the law sin? Yes. If you break God's law, it's sin, but sin is not breaking the law. I'm going to explain to you what I mean. You can obey God and sin doing it. You can do the Ten Commandments and obey them well and sin doing it. You can do good things and sin doing it. (laughs) You can feed the hungry and sin doing it. You can, you can, um, um, You know, you can go to church on Sunday and sin doing it. There are pastors who are sinning preaching. You can sin preaching. I hope I'm maybe I I hope I'm, I'm shifting your paradigm here. Because if, if I don't, if I don't break this paradigm in you, you're not going to understand the script. You're not going to understand what we're reading moving forward. You're going to get, you're going to get lost. You're going to get lost in it because what's going to happen is you're going to keep trying to go back to, okay, so which laws do I obey? Which ones do I not? What do I need to do to be a good person? What do I need to do to be a good Christian? And you're going to continue to wrestle with that. And the reason why you're going to continue to wrestle with that is because your mindset is still on what are the legal things I need to do to be a Christian? No, it's not about any of that. Okay, sin, if sin was breaking the law, then Adam could not sin. And yet Adam did sin because the scriptures tell us that sin came in through Adam. So Adam cannot sin. And if sin was obeying the law, then Abraham could not be righteous. Because Abraham existed before the law. So therefore we got to throw away all this stuff, all this way of thinking that I'm righteous because I obey the 10 commandments. We got, we got, I I've heard, listen, I hear theologians articulating this stuff and, and trying to make it make sense that now God has given us the 10 commandments and God has now given us the law as a means for us to be righteous. Guys, that doesn't make sense. Okay. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Understand that the law's purpose was for the sake of the holiness of the children of Israel the setting apart of the children of Israel. So then what is sin? Oh, and if sin is breaking the law, ready for this? Then in Colossians, the scriptures tell us that Jesus became sin. How can Jesus become sin if sin is breaking the law? Ooh, here's another one. How can we be born in sin? If sin is breaking the law, how can a baby be born in sin? If sin is breaking the law. Did you hear me family? It can't be any of that. When David says in sin, my mother conceived me. He's saying the moment I was conceived when sperm met egg and it separated, I was in sin. How can you be in sin when you haven't even broken a law yet? I hope I'm I'm tearing down that whole. You might have a shelf of a way of thinking about Christians or that Christians like to think about themselves, about sin. Guys, I'm trying to throw that shelf away. It's not a following or an adhering to a law. That's not what it is. The law's intention was for the holiness of the children of Israel. So then what is sin? Sin, if I were to put it into the simplest terms, is the egregious act of taking your own agenda over God's. That's it. It's an intention of your heart. When your heart wants what it wants over what God wants, That is sin. So when you feed the poor, but you do it so that people can think you're a good person, that's sin. When you seek your own pleasure over at the expense of someone else's pain, that's sin. When you're selfish and think of yourself, that's sin. That's why we know there's sin in children, because one of the first things that children learn is mine. Me, mine. Give me. Mine. That's how you know a child is born in sin. Adam's sin was not breaking a law. Adam's sin, it's not a sin to eat a fruit. It's a sin to disobey and to go against God's will. Sin is about the, is about the reality that mankind wants to seek his will over God's, to rule over God and not to rule under God. And that's why salvation cannot be attained through your agenda. Salvation can only be attained under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Salvation is actually self-sacrifice of giving up of yourself. So if you're looking for the rules to sin, I always find it funny. Oh man, I'm ranting. Oh, I always find it funny that Christians always want to find the rules that they need to obey in order to be good Christians. And I'm beginning to realize what they want to know is how far they can go before they're going to get a slap on the wrist. And they want to know what they ought to do in order to be able to prostrate their holiness and their righteousness on other people their form of holiness and their form of righteousness on other people. I find that the reason why a lot of people want to know what the rules are, because the rules are a lot easier than actual total submission to God. Give me the rules. I need to follow so that I can work my own agenda through them. Give me the rules. I need to follow so I can find the loopholes. And that's why there are many Christians who follow the law, but don't know Christ. You know, there are those who can obey the Ten Commandments better than everybody else, and they're the ones who are going to end up not knowing God. Sin is not about the rules. Sin is not about the law. It's about the posture of your heart. It is about the posture of your heart. And that's why people get really, really uncomfortable. I find that it's actually cultural Christians that get very, very uncomfortable when I tell them you need to throw the entire Old Testament away if you're trying to obey it to become righteous. Like like I tell people all they go, they go, uh, Pastor, you're giving people permission to sin. No, I'm actually asking them to do something even harder. I'm asking them to give their lives to Christ. You know, giving your life to Jesus is a lot harder than following the rules. Did you know that did you know submitting your life to Christ is actually a bigger sacrifice than following the rules because you can still follow the rules and still do your own thing. (laughs) You can can still follow the rules and do your own thing. And the reason why and and it's this it's this legalistic theology. That's the reason why there's so much brokenness in the church is the reason why we pander guilt. It's the reason why we pander shame. It's the reason why Christians get so prideful because now they think they're better people. Christians think they're better people than other people because they follow the Ten Commandments and they do more good and less bad than most people. The Christians are just better people. There's a way that seems right to a man in the end, it leads to destruction. And the reality is for most, for, for, for the church, People can see it through you. They don't see Jesus. They don't see the power of God. They don't see the Holy Spirit. What they see is, is they see holier than thou people who are pointing their noses at people who don't really show any kind of love. They just show how they're better than everybody. And that's why there's so much pain and suffering. There's a lot of people here who grew up in church. You didn't grow up under the gospel. You didn't grow up understanding the scripture. You grew up with a bunch of other people who didn't understand it either, who all they wanted to do is go to church to show that they're better than other people. And you saw it. You saw right through that. You saw right through it. You saw through the disingenuousness. You saw it. You saw it through 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 the fakeness. You saw it through the facade. You saw it through all of that. You saw how they were using the rules in the Bible to oppress you. You saw how they were using it not to liberate you but to oppress you. You saw how they were using Bible and Scripture to hold you down and to and to keep you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw it. You saw it. You saw how people were using the law. And even though you saw the sin in them, you didn't know the Bible as well as them. And so because you didn't know the Bible as well as them, you felt insufficient. Matter of fact, they might've thrown that at you and said, well, when you learn the Bible, then you can tell us what we ought to do and what not to do. There are some of you right now that have experienced profound pain and suffering from people who use the law to oppress you. And yet, what did Paul say? Paul said, we're not under the law, but we're under grace. The law makes people prideful. As a matter of fact, I love that you asked that question, why religion? Because the reality is, this was never supposed to be a religion. I'm ranting, stay with me. I'll come back to numbers, but I feel like I need to work this and then I'll get to my final point. Um, um, I've always said this, that Christianity has become a religion. But Christianity was never a thing in the Bible. Christianity was never a thing in the Bible. The scriptures called it the way that that's what it was called. It was the anti-religion. Christianity was anti-religious. Christianity had nothing to do with religion. It was the opposite of religion. It was the opposite of religion. We took it. What happened was, is that the, the, the way moved into the Roman empire and then the Romans went and took it and imposed it and made it become a religion. They turned this movement into an institution and that institution is what we know as the Catholic church. So it became a system. It became an institution, but Christianity was not a religion. It was never a religion. It was the opposite. And it made people uncomfortable because it wasn't about laws. It wasn't about rules. There were no rites and rituals. There were none of that. All there was, was relationship with Jesus Christ. And that made the whole world uncomfortable because institutions oppress. Relationship sets people free. So for many people, and I sense that even here, there are those of you who you had an experience and an encounter with God, but you realized church wasn't it. You you had your experience and encounter with God, but you realize, man, there's something wrong with this church thing. This church thing ain't it. Because what you begin to realize is that what I know God to be doesn't align with how these people are. You see, there are people who are still looking to follow rules to know who is in and who is out to know uh, who qualifies and who doesn't qualify to know what rules they are to follow and what rules they are not to follow and yet none of it has anything to do with you this has nothing to do directly with you but rather their implications to this law that now we get to enjoy <laughs> I read this and I look at numbers. And for and for those of you who are, and I'm, I'm going to close with this thought and we'll keep working this out. I'll see you guys on Monday. We'll keep working on this, okay? But the one thing that God was all about was his holiness. And he wanted us to be in his presence. The problem is we were not holy. So how do unholy people come into his presence? Through blood sacrifice. But watch this now. God is the opposite of sin. Sin is the very state of our world. Sin came in and as a result, we experienced death. There's only death because of sin. There's only pain because of sin. There's only strife because of sin. All these things exist because of sin. Remember, not because of the breaking of the law, but because of sin. Mankind chose his agenda over God's. And as a result, sin. Watch this now. Therefore, if God is the opposite of sin, where God is, or where he decides to be present, the effects, sin and its effects cannot be there. So where God is, there cannot be death. Where God is, there cannot be disease. Where God is, there cannot be sickness. Where God is, there cannot be pain and suffering. And so when we talk about ceremonial uncleanliness, what we're saying is, I want to make sure everybody understands this, that the people who touched something that was dead could not come into the presence of God. Why? Because you touch something that doesn't embody God. When people were, had discharges, discharges are what caused disease. These diseases, you could not be in the presence of God with those diseases. So God was about his holiness. And because he was so about his holiness, he said that those who had disease had to camp outside. He created a camp for them that after exactly right, a period of seven days they would get checked to see whether or not they still had those discharges and those illnesses. If they still did, then they had to go back again. All this is to say this, because I was getting to my point, is, because there's actually a difficult section of the scripture, which we're just not gonna get to today, concerning unfaithful wives that's a difficult section of scripture um if anybody doesn't see that then maybe you're not really fully reading it but we're not going to get to that but i want to say this though notice that not only should the people be set apart but in number six look at what it says in the law of the nazarites he talks about the Nazarites. Not drinking of wine, not drinking of vinegar, not drinking of anything fermented, not 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 drinking from grapes or raisins or from the grapevine. Setting them apart, he cannot touch something that is unclean or a person that is unclean. Notice setting apart. God is calling these people to be set apart. The Nazarite, and we'll learn later on about the Nazarite and a particular Nazarite. And we'll learn later, and this was really a preface to why the Nazarite was the way that he is, Uh, uh, um, why Samson was the way that he was, because Samson was a Nazarite and why he couldn't do certain things and why certain things were egregious to him. So this was just insight into that. But this is all to say this, family, that God calls us into relationship with him. He didn't call us to compliance. He called us to relationship. And to be in relationship with him, we have to seek something other than his law. Seek something other than the law. The law is not good enough. The law isn't good enough to get into the presence of God. It's the blood and the sacrifice. And through that, you have access into intimacy with God. And it's through that that you'll begin to find freedom and power over sin and its effects father. I thank you for this time. I thank you for blessing us father. I thank you for uh, each and every person who's here in this moment. Lord, I, but even as I'm, as I'm speaking to you and I'm praying for you, there's a whole bunch of folk who are here right now who have gone through incredible, incredible pain from the church. There's a whole bunch of people who are in this chat right now who have been oppressed and have been profoundly hurt by the church. Who have been emotionally abused by the church. Who have been demonized by the church. Ostracized by the church. Father, ostracized by... Frankly, unholy and unrighteous people. Father, I pray in this moment that you bring healing to each person here. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, release that pain, Lord, to reinvite them to revisit what you intend your relationship with them to be. Father, I ask right now, but for every person that has been taken advantage of hmm, by the church, who have been told that they were not worthy of the love of God, who've been rejected by the church, I'm, I'm just feeling an incredible weight here in that. I hear the Lord speaking to you all. There are some people that have been trying to shut the voice of God in their life because of the abuse that they've experienced. There are men of God, and I'm going to use that very loosely, men of God who have clouded your perception of God because they were your symbol of God and yet you experienced abuse physical sexual emotional abuse there are those who who experienced abuse and and you never had a chance to really voice it because you never had a chance to voice it you had other ways that you expressed it and somehow you couldn't connect it because you were told that there was something wrong with you. There's a voice from the enemy that spoke into you and said to you, this is your fault. You were no good. There's a voice in you that has been trying to convince you that there's no, that, that, that hell is for you, that there's a spirit on you. There's, hmm, there's a young lady here who was blamed for what the church did to her. There's a lot of pain here. And what makes it so difficult, hmm, what makes it so difficult for you is that there are certain experiences that you cannot unexperience. You can't unhear the voice of God. You can't unhear the voice of God. You can't unexperience the embrace of God. You cannot Erase what has happened to you. And so because you can't erase those things, you're having a hard time reconciling how God can be so good and how can you experience such a thing and yet to experience also the profound depth of pain that you've encountered through those who represented God. Some who have unexpressed abuse and you cannot unexperience it. I understand why you can't trust the church, why you should. And you have reason not to, (laughs) because even though they committed a sin against you, they told you that you were the sinner. They told you that you were the one that was in the wrong. You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have done that. This is your fault. There's a spirit on you. There's some people that have been told that they just have a spirit on them. Lies. How much pain and deception that many of you have experienced from the church and yet. You can't unexperience the voice of God. Tracy, if only they knew. If only they knew. And I can understand why you would never, and you've told yourself, I will never, ever go back. But I hear the Lord saying, I've spoken to you. <laughs> I, I just, I hear the Lord saying, I've, you, you know I've spoken to you. You see, you should not put trust in any kind of man or any person or any individual. But trust in me. Today is your day of freedom because today all the sins that they said that you committed and who you were. Ah, they said the way you dressed and the stuff that you put on and they made you into a harlot Mm. there's some guys in here who've been abused by men that they trusted by women that they trusted who were hurt you can't really share with anyone because it'll make people question your masculinity Hmm. and so in your mind there was something wrong with Jesus but nothing was ever wrong with Jesus something was wrong with the person who represented him they were agents of the devil because they never represented God they represented their own agendas and their own kingdoms using the Bible as an oppressive force. The Lord wants to set you free from that. He wants to set you free from that. I'm not telling you to go back to that church or go back to a church. The Lord's going to lead you where you need to go. But what the Lord wants is he wants you to open your heart again to him. <laughs> um, I want to re-invite you to hear from God and just simply read his word for yourself. Because God has an incredible calling over your life. An incredible calling over your life and he's not done with you you know it's funny and I know I'm, I'm, I'm way over time I just felt the Lord was leading me here and I had to speak into this but it's it's one of those things family where as much as you try to run God does not seem to want to let you go some it's caused so much frustration why can't I just be me and just move on and yet it wasn't just a season in your life, it's the person that you are, and you do not know how to reconcile that. The one thing that you cannot undo is God's calling over your life. You could screw it up over and over again. You can you can You know, be in as many inappropriate relationships as you like over and over again. You can do all of that. You can run as much as you want. You can try to discredit yourself. I've always said this, family. sharing my heart. I've always said this. That even if you were a deadbeat son, you're still a deadbeat son. And you're still a son. The last name can't change on you. When God puts his name on you, it can't change. But he doesn't want you out there. He wants you back in his house. He wants you back in his presence. And back in his house, I'm not saying you need to go back to a church. (laughs) Get to know him first. Then you'll know who to be with when you know him. Because nobody from here on out is going to be your God. And what God is saying to you is... Is the mistake that was made by your parents and the mistake that was made by you was you made a pastor a God. You made a minister a God. You made an apostle a God. You made a prophet a God. You served them. And in the end, you realized that they were agents of the devil. And what God is saying now is you will make me, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will know me. You will speak to me directly. And then you'll know who you'll be in family with. But from here on out, you will not be dependent on any man and on any woman and on any individual. But I will be sufficient for you. You can't unexperience what you have experienced. And all of it is real. Last thought. And I've always said this to people who say, man, I don't even know if any of it was real. I don't know if any of it was real. That's just your way of trying to move forward, because you cannot reconcile how a person of God through a community of God can, can, can render that much pain and that much evil and suffering, you just don't know how to do that. You don't know how to reconcile that. And here's what I say to people like that. I say, then it's either one of two things. Either you are legally insane, or God is real. You ever been backed in a corner family, where either you're crazy, or God is real. It can't be, it's either one or the other. Did you hear me? It's either one or the other. Make a decision and say, no, it was God. And because it was God, I need I need to get back with him. I need to get in. I need I need to revisit all of this. I need to read the scripture differently. I need to to, to get it right this time. Not simply trust what, what some 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 dude is saying about God or some lady is saying about God. But to actually read and go, wow, now I see what God wants for me. I'm inviting you on that journey. That's it. I'm just inviting you on that journey. But I believe that if you're already there, all God wants you to do is shut it all out. and Just focus on him. I love you, fam. I love every one of you. And I know, and I know there's healing for you. I know there's healing for you. You're just now you're going to read this differently because you're not going to read it and go. I need a pastor or minister to tell me what it says. I'm going to read it and go, God, I want to hear from you. Because the one thing I can't run away from is what I've encountered with you. The visions, the dreams, the I've been filled with your spirit. There are Those who have spoken in tongues, some of you have experienced them in a powerful way. And, and man, it's hard to move away from that because either you were crazy or God is real. I love all of you, and I truly believe this, that God is doing something. I believe lives are being changed this year. 2021 is going to be a year of profound deliverance in your life. You're going to finally have an encounter with God in a way that is pure, in a way that is um, liberating. You're going to have an encounter with God in a way that's going to transform your life from here on out, and maybe that's what's God's been waiting for you. I love all of y'all and I just know it's going to happen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys, but God is doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it, Brina, and he's doing it, Mama Holly. He's doing it. He's healing your heart. He's healing your soul. He's healing your mind. He's removing you from regret. He's removing all those things from you. There was nothing wrong with you. God wants to restore you. God bless you guys. Love y'all. See y'all Monday.